Well, good morning, Firewell Bible Fellowship. Hey, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. What a beautiful day it is this morning. You look outside. Uh, this is a, a day the Lord has made, and let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's so good to be together here together uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, something that a lot of people don't get to do today. Um, I look forward to coming here um, every Sunday. My wife and I do. We love this is home for us. Um, and for those of you watching online, uh, just know that we miss you, and we would like you to be here. Also know that you are loved, and we are excited. we got a lot of stuff going on today in addition to our worship band and the message from Pastor Chris. We're going to have an awesome chili cook-off today as, as well, the pie contest. So we got a lot of opportunities, a lot of fun times going on here today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we worship you, Lord, because you are worthy, and we exalt your holy name. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity we have here to gather together with one another and lift our voices and praise to you, for you are worthy, Lord. I pray that the worship today, that the message from Pastor Chris, that it's pleasing to you and that your name would be exalted as a result. We worship you and we love you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning. Oh man, you guys gotta do better than that. Good morning. Yeah, you ready to worship? All right, you'll stand and worship with us.
He is the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness. That is who God is. And good morning. Welcome to Firewall Bible Fellowship. My name is Chris Carroll. If we have not met, I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, at this time in the service, we, we give our offering as an act of worship. And uh, the phrase in the, the, uh, the scripture that has been on my heart for weeks uh, when we gather together on Sunday morning is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. And I, and I feel like this truth, this promise, needs to make its way from our heads to our hearts because it is a very easy statement to make. It is a very easy uh, word to repeat, but it is a long journey for it to travel from our heads to our hearts. Found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, it begins simply this way. God is faithful. And I feel like this morning we need to hear that and we need to say it. We need to believe it. And we need to pray that it makes its way from our heads all the way down to our hearts that we can declare God is faithful. And not just declare it, but believe it. How many of y'all want to believe that this morning? You want to have that travel, that truth travel down from the head to the heart. Okay, so we're going to declare it that God is faithful. Okay, and we're going to start over here. You're going to be, you're going to declare God and you're going to say is. And because there's a larger percentage of people here, is should be really loud. And then over here, you all are going to make it up. You're going to, you're going to scream it at faithful. Y'all ready? If you are, say yeah. Okay, let this truth, Lord, please let this truth travel from our heads and our mouths down to our hearts. And as we declare it over one another, and as we declare it out loud, we pray that, that we would be the comfort and the encouragement to those sitting around us who right now are struggling to believe that you are faithful. Lord, circumstantially, we can turn our heads around. We can look around and we can start looking at our life and we can start questioning your faithfulness. We can start asking really big questions with really small words like, why? Why am I going through this? Why is this my experience? Where are you in this? And Lord, I believe today that we need to be reminded that you are faithful. Father, you are faithful. You've been faithful to send of your son. Lord Jesus, you have been faithful to save us and to rescue us by grace. Faithful to shed your blood on the cross. You are faithful to forgive us of our sins. That when we confess before you, you are faithful over every aspect of our life and you will be faithful throughout eternity as we walk in an imperishable, pure, and unfading inheritance that is awaiting us for those who are in Christ. And so, Lord, as we declare this statement, and as we declare it not just in word but in tangible action, as we give as an act of worship, Lord, setting aside the first fruits of what you have entrusted to us, May we not only declare it in word, may we not only believe it in our heart, but may we tangibly live out your faithfulness. May this be a declaration and a song of praise and a hymn of praise to you, our Father in heaven. Okay, so y'all, on three, God is faithful. Y'all ready? If you're ready, say yeah. Do y'all believe it yet? Do y'all believe it? Let's do it one more time. God is 
All right, one more time, and this time, with everything we've got. Amen. Ushers, come on down.
sing, give us clean hands. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, who seeks your face.
Amen. All right, howdy, howdy, howdy. All right, real quick, um, I got the memo wrong. I thought it was a cowboy chili cook-off, not cowboys. Um, so, mia culpa, mia culpa. Uh, but yes, today we are having our chili cook-off at 325 uh, with the start of the Cowboys game. Uh, so come on down for some chili and some pie. There's going to be judging. It's going to be a great time. Uh, real quick, I just want to take a real brief moment to recognize our children's ministry volunteers and workers um, I was, yes. The unsung heroes, really, they persevere through the snot and the tears and the tantrums to take care of our precious little ones. Um, and it's just truly remarkable the work they do over there. So they're watching on a TV screen right now, but thanks, y'all. Moving forward, yesterday our golf tournament was a great success. Thank you to everybody who came out. Uh, we raised some money for the church, had some good fellowship, had some good food. So once again, thanks you all for helping with making that such a great event. Uh, real quick, everybody who signed up for softball, see me in the lobby afterwards. Dun, dun, dun. No, just kidding. Uh, but yes, please see me in the lobby afterwards. Um, Mommy and Me play date on the 21st. Uh, that's going to be a great time. It's from 10.30 to 12. Um, you can sign up online or in the lobby. Also, Women's Movie Night on the 23rd. Uh, that's going to be, yes, on the 23rd. Uh, that starts at 6 p.m., and you can sign up once again in the lobby or online. Uh, some of you may have noticed on the back of your chairs, there's a new, uh, new fixture there. Those are called QR codes. What QR means, I do not know, but they are important. Uh, Firewheel is stepping into the 21st century, and we are transitioning into a new software basis for all our operations. And this is really exciting because it's going to help us disseminate information that y'all need in a more streamlined process. So as you can see, some of them say new, some of them say giving, and some of them say events. Uh, pretty self-explanatory. However, even if you aren't new and you've been coming here many, many moons, uh, if you could go ahead and sometime in the coming weeks, please scan the new QR code and just fill out the form that pops up online. Um, this way we can build our database and get information to you all in a timely fashion. Uh, it's a really exciting new development, and I'm looking forward to see uh, all the good work that comes from it. Um, also, on November 7th, the youth group is having a potato bar. Yeah. I like when I pause, y'all clap. That's a good, good response. Uh, but yes, they're having a potato bar fundraiser. It's going to be a great time. Um, other than that, that's all I have for y'all. Oh, at the end, uh, if y'all could help me stack this side of chairs and this side of chairs uh, for our chili cook-off so we can get the uh, auditorium ready for everything. Uh, but that's all I have for y'all. Enjoy the sermon. Awesome. Thank you, Keegan McCarthy, and good morning, Firewall Bible Fellowship. Let's open our Bibles. Everybody say, Word. Word. We are in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I want to thank our worship team this morning. Uh, we really appreciate it. Can we put our hands together for our worship team? Yeah. All our wonderful volunteers. Uh, all those who are faithfully serving every single Sunday morning. We want to say thank you. Thank you to our teachers. 
Yeah. All right, so let's see your Bibles. Where's up those Bibles? Got any Bibles in here? Digital version, print, excellent. Pens, anybody got a pen out there ready to take some notes? How about a sermon buddy? Any sermon buddies out there? Yeah, well, if you're wanting a sermon buddy, they are back here on these tables. As you walked in, you will notice we have tables set up for prayer requests. Sermon buddies are there. If you need a Bible, we will always have an extra copy of the Bible. You are free to take that if you do not have a Bible. Um, This morning, we're entering into one of my favorite sections of Scripture, not just in the Gospel of Matthew, but really in, in the entirety of the Bible. Uh, it, is, it is a passage of Scripture that is called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, chapters 5 through 7, uh, and we will be in this sermon um, for, for the next few weeks. And uh, man, it's just going to be a real blessing. We're going to look at the first 12 verses over the next two Sundays. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, being Jesus, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, we approach your word. And uh, we pray that our hearts would be fertile soil. And uh, that your your word would take root uh, in our hearts. Sending down deep roots and bringing up abundant fruit. Uh, We thank you this morning uh, that we can turn to your scriptures. And that we can study your word. May it have its perfect work in us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning we're being invited to walk up the windswept hill uh, right across from the Sea of Galilee to sit with Jesus as one of his disciples. I love this picture. It's a picture of a father and son uh, walking up a hill. There's the Sea of Galilee. And, and that's really the picture. Uh, of of fathers and sons and moms and daughters and we're we're taking our kids by the hand and and where are we going? Well, we're going to go sit at the feet of Jesus and and we're going to learn from him and we're going to listen and and we're going to apply the things that we hear Jesus teach us. I love this picture of a father and son. Well, over the next two mornings, Sunday mornings, Jesus is going to teach us how to live a life that is truly blessed. I don't think there's a person in here this morning or watching online who doesn't want to live a life that is truly blessed. And I think just by reading what we've read this morning, we've all come to the conclusion that maybe our definition of the blessed life and Jesus' definition of the blessed life, well, they're, well, they're not the same. 
We turn to this great sermon in the early chapter of Matthew's Gospel. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it derives its name from the very first verse of Matthew chapter 5, where we read, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the what? The mountain. Aha. Sermon on the mountain. That's right. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, at the close of chapter 4, we we were all left with the impression that large crowds were following Jesus. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 25, we read that people were coming from all Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and beyond. And we know that some were coming for healing. Others were coming just to see this person that, that everyone was talking about. And others came to learn from him. Well, we were told that Jesus went up on the mountain, which is very reminiscent of when Moses went up on the mount to meet with God, to receive the law. Well, here we have the Son of God going up the mountain, and his disciples are following right behind him to receive the teachings of the kingdom of God. We are told that his disciples came to him. Uh, The title disciple, not referring just to the 12. No, this is a a title referring to the many disciples who were following Jesus. The term disciple itself uh, simply means learner. So many came to learn from him, and, and in time, some even chose to follow him. And what I see from this passage of Scripture is Jesus will teach anyone who is willing to learn. Jesus is willing to teach anyone who is willing to learn. That is true today as it was then. If you're willing and ready to learn and you're willing to sit at Jesus' feet, Jesus will teach you. And I believe that's why we're here this morning, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to learn from him. And we're told that once Jesus took his seat and his disciples came to him in verse 2, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, followed by the rest of the sermon. Well, when you read that he opened his mouth, it should catch your attention. That statement there, you should underline that, because what is about to be spoken is very, very important for our spiritual life. It is, in fact, essential. Jesus is going to now be unfolding what I will call the eight characteristics of a life that is truly blessed, and not just blessed in this life. We can often be very short-sighted when it comes to the kingdom of God. Not only blessed in this life, but, wow, blessed in the life to come. These eight characteristics are also known as the Beatitudes, uh, a reference to the Latin name or word that opens up each verse. It is Beatus in Latin. But it's rendering a Greek word that opens each of the verses to follow, translating the Greek word makarios, a word that means to be blessed or to have joy. Matthew chapter 5, 3, in fact, opens with that very word, blessed. I would encourage you as we go through this passage to underline that word, maybe twice, (laughs) a double underline uh, in your scripture highlighter, blessed, blessed, blessed. In fact, the word blessed permeates this passage, being used nine times in as many verses. It is as if to say, if you want to live a blessed life, well, here's the pathway. So out of curiosity, and I'd love to hear briefly your thoughts, what is defined 
as the blessed life in our culture? What are some of the things that would mark a life that is truly blessed, defined by our culture? Go ahead and yell them out. Okay, family, money, success. What else? I can't, it's hard for me to hear you. <laughs> Health, what else? Happiness. Boy, that's a sliding scale, isn't it? Boy, just trying to find happy. Satisfaction, something that brings us joy. Often I'll see a, a reporter or a person who is talking about their life and, and very affluent, they'll go, wow, how blessed am I? And we'll often associate blessings with, with abundance of prosperity and, and possessions and things. And, and often our definition and the scripture's definition, well, they run up against each other. My son, uh, Jed, he's our second to youngest. He gives me a look when he's confused about something. You know, he's kind of kind of tilts his head to the side. And, and I feel like I'm making that face as I read through the Beatitudes, right? I'm like, ah, kind of confused. I'm like, how is that a blessing? Well, the first characteristic of a life that's truly blessed is spiritual poverty. <laughs> we begin with poverty. I mean, just the word itself, it feels icky, right? To be poor or impoverished, to have anything in our life associated with poverty doesn't exactly sound blessed at all. Because often we'll look at and we'll equate poverty or being impoverished with cursing or a consequence for a life that has maybe been poorly lived. And then we will equate wealth and possessions and prosperity with blessings. In fact, just turn on a TV preacher and away they go, right? Three easy steps to a life that is healthy and wealthy and blessed. Well, we were told at the very opening of the Beatitudes that the true kingdom of God is poverty. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this, this verse is not referring specifically to physical poverty, but spiritual poverty. But it is a great analogy when we talk of poverty to then speak of the spiritual counterpart. Because poverty means to lack. And spiritually what this is saying that in and of ourselves, we have nothing to present before God. Some will call this the place of surrender or brokenness. I call this a complete awareness and a willingness to admit utter spiritual bankruptcy before God himself. That in me, in and of myself, there is no good thing. I'm, I'm not worthy of God's goodness or of his love or his affection. I'm not worthy of eternal life. I've often heard people say that you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Really, the scriptures teach something else entirely. We are valued, certainly. We are loved, yes. But we are not worthy in and of ourselves of the goodness of the Lord. I have no righteousness in and of myself. I'm reminded of the words of Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 64, verse 6, saying simply, all of our righteous deeds... All of these great and good works that we do before the Lord in and of ourselves are equated with filthy rags. Boy, that really confronts that, that concept of I'm just a good person. All of those good things, all of those, those things that we're banking on to say, this makes me right before God at best are equated to filthy rags. 
Well, this spiritual principle of poverty is, is most on display in a parable that I'm going to share with you out of Luke's gospel. It's one of my favorites because it confronts my utter hypocrisy. And the times where I'll elevate myself over other people and I'll start to think of myself as pretty darn good before God. Well, he's pretty lucky to have me. <laughs> wow, look at me. And man, I sure hope God does something about that mess over there and that person. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus tells this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Isn't that interesting? The opposite of spiritual poverty is spiritual pride and self-righteousness. And it has that odious symptom of self-exaltation and looking down at others, this like arrogant and judgmental spirit that can infect our hearts. And self-righteousness grabs a hold of us. Now, it's this tendency to see ourselves as far better than we are and to see others as far worse than they really are. So we're introduced to two men, and on the surface, one is going to seem righteous and right before God. I mean, everything about this person's life is just screams a faithful person. And then the other person, when you just look at them on the surface, you'd think, wow, they're just dangling by a little piece of dental floss over the very pits of hell itself. When we come to realize that what we see and what the Lord sees, well, uh, y'all, it ain't the same thing. Luke chapter 18, verse 11. Listen to these words of the Pharisee. He would have been seen as very, very righteous. Standing by himself, he prayed thus, God, I thank you. I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Thank you, God, that I am so good. <laughs> I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Wow. Look at how, God, you're so lucky to have me. And you know, as we compare that to what we read of the prophet, all those good things he was banking on, presenting before God, all he was doing was displaying his dirty, filthy rags. And then we're introduced to the tax collector and his prayer. The intimacy of the heart. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm filthy. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing to present before you. It is the heartbreaking prayer of the prodigal son coming home, rehearsing his prayer. I'm no longer worthy to be called one of your sons. Treat me as a hired servant. It is the prayer of the thief on the cross through gasps as he approached death himself. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It is the quiet and humble prayer of the impoverished soul being able to say, God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner in need of saving. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. And we're told that in, this, in that parable, one of the men went home right before God, and it wasn't the Pharisee. We come to discover, family, that the price of admission into the kingdom of God is complete and total surrender. 
That's the price. We must completely surrender ourselves before God. We will never, ever enter the kingdom of God until we are willing to recognize, own, and confess our utter spiritual poverty, which, which sounds incredibly costly. But then the very gates of the kingdom open. We gain entrance into the kingdom. I do want to say for the believer, for you who have, for you who have completely surrendered before the Lord, I want to remind you, please do not forget your humble beginnings. Well, something happens in the heart of a believer as time passes. We get this kind of like spiritual amnesia and we forget. And we can start to look down on others. Family, we have no right to be in the kingdom more than any other person on earth. It is by the grace of God that we are welcomed. It is by the grace of God that we are saved. And it is by the grace of God that we now stand. My prayer is that it is the grace of God that will keep us humble, not only before the Lord, but before one another. Spiritual poverty is the first characteristic of a life that is truly blessed. The second characteristic of a life truly blessed is mourning. <laughs> Boy, this is one of those beatitudes that really fries the circuits because it seems completely irrational, absurd, ridiculous. It's a contradiction. How can it be blessed to weep? How can it be a blessing to mourn? Well, the word translated as mourn, Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be, what is that word? Comforted. Well, that word that is translated as mourn is the strongest word in the Greek language to describe mourning. It's more than sadness. It's more than sorrow. This word is referring to those deep and agonizing sobs of lamenting where we have lost a loved one or we're facing the crushing realities of our life. It's these mournful moments in seasons where our very spiritual breath is pulled from our bodies and we're left almost immobile, where we're drawn into the fetal position and we cannot fathom ever seeing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living again. I have a very dear friend of mine who has suffered for year upon years, years, where not a day goes by where he doesn't suffer from excruciating and debilitating pain. And just this week he texted, treatment hasn't worked, meds aren't working, back to square one. And we look at that and we're like, how can that be a blessing? Family, it is not the crushing circumstances that are the blessing. It's not the pain and the agony and the suffering of loss that is the blessing. The blessing is the comfort we receive from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. This is bedrock truth. Okay, this is the stuff that's not going to seem like it's reality when we're faced with crushing circumstances, but this is rock we can build our life on. This is the sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all what? Comfort. I want you to underline that. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Isn't that a comforting mouthful? <laughs> that no matter what we face in this life, we always have the God of all comfort with us. It may not feel like it. There may not be any circumstantial evidence to substantiate the claim. You may be in a time where everything in your life right now is screaming, God is nowhere to be found. But these are just empty words. But these words and our God are the sure and steadfast anchor of our souls that in times of crisis we cling to this word like it's our very life where we, we cast ourselves upon the Lord. You know, something that came to mind this week is if I never faced times of, of mourning and sadness and affliction, I would never experience the true abiding merciful ministry of comfort. That these words would, would not be experienced. They'd be theoretical. But because we face affliction and because we face times of utter mourning and sorrow and agony, these words become less theoretical and more experiential because we experience the comfort. And right now, you may not know it, but you are rubbing shoulders with fellow saints who have gone through the valleys of the shadow of death and who have felt the true abiding comfort of God. They have experienced the ministry of mercy and are now able to be that conduit of comfort to others. We are comforted. We comfort others others. And here is what is so beautiful as we comfort others, we ourselves are comforted even more. And even in this life, even if we do not recover, and, and for the next 40 years, our address is pain and agony, we're told in the scriptures, and this was not penned lightly, this was penned by a man who had faced brutal circumstances, beatings and imprisonment and shipwrecks and starvation. He'd been dragged out of a city and stoned half near to death. They thought they had killed him, and then he dragged himself back into the city if maybe one more person could hear the name Jesus. And he somehow had the audacity to pen that these light and momentary afflictions is equating the, the sorrow and the agony that we face is somehow considered, compared to eternity, light and momentary. If the worst we face in this life is considered light and momentary, what must eternity be like? You know, our, our true hope is, is not just that things are going to get better in this life. Family, they may not. They may not. That healing may not happen. There, there may not be a cure. There may be the reality that, yeah, that divorce is going to be finalized. 
and, and you may not see your child return to the Lord. And, and, and you don't understand it, and you're praying like my friend, like we're praying, like God, heal. But he, he may not receive the healing that he desires and that we want for him. Like we cannot figure it out. Like God, aren't you going to be most glorified when you move in power in this situation? But we were reminded that God has written eternity on our hearts and our hope and our address is not found here. That we have a true hope. I want to take us to a single verse found in the book of Revelation. I, I don't know how everything is supposed to play out in the end times. Like, people will often ask me, like, the finer points of end times, explain it to us, Pastor, and I, and I have to be honest with you, I don't know. I do my best to study and to understand and to glean. But I do know this. I know that this is a promise that we will experience. That we can, we can bank on this. Revelation 21, verse 4. He will. Y'all, anytime you read that word will, that is an underlining moment. This is a promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be what? Mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That in heaven there is no mourning or crying or pain anymore. We are to comfort one another with these words. We're to comfort one another with our hope, our eternal hope, so that we don't sorrow as those who have no hope, because we do have abiding hope. And I will tell you right now, the thing that breaks my heart the most are the people that have to go through the crushing circumstances, because by the way, these are not isolated to Christians. But my heart breaks for the poor souls who have to go through the crushing circumstances of this life and they have no relationship with God. They have no hope. I cannot think of a more barren wasteland of hopelessness. But then what an incredible eternal hope that we have in Jesus. Amen? second characteristic of a life truly blessed is mourning. The third is meekness. Meekness, this is one of my favorite verses in the scriptures. Um, in the sense that, gosh, I have so, I have so far to go. <laughs> I'm, I'm comforted in Philippians 1, 6 that he began a good work is going to bring it to completion. This is one of those areas where, wow, Lord, please humble my heart. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Well, this particular character quality is refined over time and is often in short supply among us younger saints. To be meek, it means to not be overly impressed by one's own importance. <laughs> Yo soy muy importante. <laughs> you know, I can say blessed are the meek, but gosh, I sure operate like I'm sometimes the most important person in the room. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I need to be the first in line at Chick-fil-A. I'm more important than this other person checking out the grocery. 
I'm going to get to that stoplight before you do because yo soy muy importante. I am so important. But then before the Lord, there is hopefully this humbling. Because we've already admitted our impoverishment of soul and our mourning. But this is a gentle, humble, considerate, others-focused spirit. In fact, the same word is used of our, the ministry of our shepherd, Jesus. One of my favorite and comforting passages found in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Uh, these are verses, gosh, what comfort they can bring. Jesus declared, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, being crushed. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Listen to who, who our, our Savior is. Listen to who, his heart. This is one of the verses that tells us the heart of Jesus. For I am gentle. There's the same word as meek. I am gentle and meek and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There was not a self-focused muscle or tendon or little uh, piece of DNA in Jesus that was self-focused. He was always others-focused. There was a meekness about him and others, a concern for others. And this is really to have the heart of Jesus for people this is where the, the internal then expresses itself in the world in which we live. It's the, it's the real embodiment of what it means to be salt and light. It's to be meek, setting other people's needs above our own that we're told in Philippians 2. Have this mind that is, that is yours in Christ Jesus. Though being in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took the form of the lowest servant. In a world that is filled with proud and selfish grabs of proud and selfish people, we are to take the posture of our master. Humble and gentle and considerate. We don't need to get to the light first. We don't have to be the first in line or the first out the door. We don't have to have the dishes done or the floor mopped. Gosh, we know how to use a sponge. We know how to use a mop. We don't walk into the church and go, wow. This place doesn't have what I'm looking for. We walk into the church and we go, how can I be of service to a fellow believer and unbeliever? How can I represent the kingdom and welcome people just as I was welcomed into the kingdom? You see, when we came into the church and when I came into the church, there was somebody standing at the door who welcomed me. There was somebody that handed me a Bible because I had never had one in my hands. There was somebody who graciously taught me the scriptures there was somebody who invited me back and noticed when I wasn't there. There were Bible studies and there were, there were places for me to learn how to worship and to sing. And you know why those things existed? Because there were people there who in meekness were servants. Let us take a posture of a servant. There is nothing greater and there is nothing lower. 
and there's this incredible promise that we're, we'll inherit the earth. And I don't fully grasp what that means, but here's what I know. Anytime we read of an inheritance in the Lord, it is beyond our comprehension that somehow in the future kingdom we'll inherit the earth, and we have an inheritance. And in First Peter, we are told that our, our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It means it endures forever, it's pure, and it never diminishes in quality. It ain't like my favorite blue jeans. I love a good pair of jeans, but you know what? They're fading. Anything in this life is temporary and, and breaks down and diminishes in quality over time, but never once is our inheritance referred to that way. It's not like that faded pair of jeans. No, it increases in quality and quantity for eternity. We no longer have to selfishly grab at this life because we are promised so much more in the life to come. Think about that. We don't have to selfishly grab this life because we're promised so much more in the life to come. Let others grab of this world and gobble up this world and hoard of this world. I would rather be last in line at Chick-fil-A and first in line in the kingdom. Amen? I would quit talking about Chick-fil-A because I know we're hungry. <laughs> and they're closed on Sunday. Oh, it's even worse. You can't even go get waffle fries today. Third characteristic of a life truly blessed, meekness. Oh man, listen to this. Number four, the characteristic of a life truly blessed, hunger and thirst. <laughs> hunger and thirst, not for Chick-fil-A, but for God. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Yeah, for God, for righteousness. Not only to live a righteous life, but the one who empowers the righteous life, a hunger and thirst for God, for they shall be satisfied. Y'all, we're a hungry and thirsty people. We just are. And it expresses itself in so many different ways. There is this deep and aching soul hunger and thirst, and we turn to so many things like food or drink or relationships or kids or career or possessions, having people esteem us, having success. We just want to feel whole inside. We feel empty at times. Oh, that there is something that could fill this need. I'm reminded of Isaiah 55 verse 2 in the prophets asking this question why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which doesn't satisfy he's not talking about physical bread he's saying why are you investing all of your vitality in things that will not satisfy the soul he says listen diligently diligently to me eat of what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Your soul can be satisfied, and when your soul is satisfied, you don't have to turn to other things to have the soul being met. We no longer have to dwell or draw from the wells of this world. I'm reminded of, of Jesus at the well, and he met, met the woman there, and, you know, she came up to draw water. She had five husbands, and the one she was with at that point was not her husband. And she was turning to these relationships to satisfy the soul. Another relationship, another relationship, another relationship. This next one, this next one, this next one's going to meet the soul, my needs. 
And Jesus is like, if you, you keep drawing from this well, you're going to be thirsty again. It's never going to satisfy, but the water I give you, oh, it will satisfy your soul. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. I don't know what your well is. I know what my wells are that I draw from to try to satisfy my soul. These things are anything other than Jesus. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become a spring of water. What does a spring do? It continues to produce more and more water welling up to eternal life. In John 6, 35, Jesus declaring, he says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Like these core appetites, like we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're hungry, we're thirsty. And we're turning to our spouses in anger, and we're like, give me what I want. All you're saying is I'm hungry, and I'm thirsty. We're getting mad at our bosses, and, and, and all we're saying is, I'm so hungry, and I'm so thirsty. It's that achingness, that emptiness that Amazon can't fix. That next purchase, you sit behind the wheel of that new car. Five minutes later, it hits. Oh, no. This isn't it. See, family, God has put in us a hunger and a thirst that can't be satisfied any other way. Jesus, to you who do not know Jesus, what you've been searching for your entire life, what you're searching for now, whether you own it or know it or realize it, you are searching for Jesus. He is the only one who can satisfy your soul. Christian, no matter what you are turning to right now, the only thing that is going to satisfy your soul is Jesus. That's why he says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden and hungry and thirsty, I'll give you rest, I'll give you bread, I'll give you water. You will be satisfied. Now the four characteristics of a life truly blessed that we've covered this morning, spiritual poverty, mourning, meekness, hunger, and thirst. It may not seem like the blessed life, but you got to remember the rewards. The rewards, the kingdom of heaven, comfort, and inheritance— and a satisfied soul. When I read that, blessed are those who have the kingdom of God, blessed are those who are comforted, blessed are those who inherit the earth, blessed is a satisfied soul, I'm like, sign me up. But that pathway is costly, isn't it? Now we've sat at his feet as his disciples. Next week, we're going to walk back up the windswept hill of the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to sit at his feet again. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your holy, eternal, soul-satisfying word. Lord, we are so hungry and weary and tired. Lord, I know today that ministry of mercy is so needed here in this church. Some of us are really distraught scared. We need comfort. Lord, some of us this morning are, are standing and banking on our good works. We feel pretty righteous. Oh, we need humility.
and an, an infectious uh, heart where we see ourselves as more important than others. Oh, Lord, make us humble. And please, please lead us to you, Jesus, the only one who will satisfy. So this morning, if you'd like to invite Jesus into your life, you're going to say, yes, Jesus, please come into my life. I'm, I'm going to surrender before you. I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand up so I can see you and pray with you. I see your little hand. Amen. Amen. I see those little hands popping up. You know, it's amazing the work that God does. The kingdom of God is of the young. I see. To you who raised your hand in the quietness of your heart, tell them, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried. I believe you've risen. I ask for forgiveness for my sins. Please save my life. I invite you in, Jesus. If that's truly your heart's prayer, the Lord has moved into your life. <laughs> You've passed from blindness to sight, death to life. These things that the scriptures that you may not know, in time you'll come to discover. You are forever a loved son or daughter of the living God. Welcome to the family. And now this morning, if, if you're needing just a special ministry of the Lord and, and you just want that ministry today in your heart, your life, just raise your hand up. I'm going to pray for you specifically. Just need a touch from Jesus. Amen. Amen, Lord. We're raising up that hand. We pray for that ministry, that comforting ministry, that ministry of mercy, that grace. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, family, let's stand together. We're going to sing. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. And then it's going to be time for us to go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Till we meet again, same time, same place next week. But before then, chili cook-off, right, y'all? Yeah, cowboy game, chili cook-off. Let's fellowship this afternoon. We just need some fellowship, folks. And we're going to eat some chili. We're going to watch a football game. It's going to be a wonderful time. But do not forget, you are loved. So we're going to sing together. And when we're done singing, we need these chairs stacked and these chairs stacked. And, and if there's some folks, some, some strong guys. We got any strong guys in the house? Some muscle guys? Some buff dudes? Well, everyone else, too. We need some help moving tables and uh, putting out some chairs for the chili cook-off. It is so good to be with you all this morning. Let's sing. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our
to Jesus, I'm going to ask that we have an usher standing at these tables. There's a little blue bag that is going to walk you through what it means to be a believer. Mom, Dad, some of your little ones raise their hands. And what a privilege it is that you have to take them by the hand and lead them to Jesus. And so talk to your children about the gospel and about faith. But we have these bags available for you. Family, it is time to go into the world. We'll see you this afternoon. Please stack chairs. And if there's anything that I can personally pray for you uh, today, I'll be waiting for you right up front.